Bonjour, and thank you for tuning in to Millionaire Interviews. After you get done listening to this awesome episode, well then go check out our website, millionaire-interviews.com. Why? Well, if you simply can't wait for the next episode to come out, we actually provide all of our interviews a few days early on the site. Plus, we'll also be giving out tons of... Every day I'd show up to work with a suit and tie. I knew I was the only person there, but I still showed up every day with a suit and tie. How do you exit? Because you can't run the company forever. What I've realized is that very few companies truly know and have a good strategy around how to hire sales folks. If there's no retreat, you need to fight twice as hard. You need to basically fight for your life. My name is Dan Fantasia from Treeline Incorporated. We are the nation's number one sales recruiting firm. We've been in business since 2001. And since our inception, we've been recognized as an Inc. 5000 fastest growing company for four years, this year included. Recognized as the number one best place to work in Boston by the BBJ last year and a few years before that. And this year, we were recognized as the number two best place to work in Boston. We've won the Fast 50 Award for fastest growing company. And all of those successes have been around our ability to help companies scale high output, talented sales organizations. How'd you come up with the name Treeline? Yeah, that's a good question. When I decided to start the company, a lot of traditional executive search firms have people's names in them. And and I've never been a selfish type of individual and I, I never needed that type of attention. One of my greatest passions is skiing. And I was a ski bum for a while in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And the goal for the best skiers and the guys that took the most risk was to get above the tree line because above the tree line is where it's the toughest to get to. You need to be in the best shape. You need to be best athlete. You need to be the most capable and talented. And you need to enjoy that rush, the success of you know hiking a peak and then skiing it, of course. And so I decided to name our company Treeline because we specialize in sales. Salespeople have that same mentality. Their goal is to get above the tree line. They want to be the number one rep. They want to be the top producer. And they realize it's going to take the most preparation. It's going to take the most work to get there. You have to strive to be better than the rest. Well, the same with our companies. Companies that want to grow and want to hire and build sales organizations, they want to be above the tree line. They want to be better than their competitors because that's where they know the success is going to lie. And so as a result, I named it Treeline because our audience, including ourselves as a company, are all trying to get above the tree line. And our goal is to help them find each other so that they can continue that, that success and meet their goals and together get above the tree line. How long have you been in business? Uh, since 2001. That's a pretty long time, it seems, for most of the companies I talk to. There seems like a few years here and there, they go to a new thing. If you wouldn't mind telling us, would you backtrack to 16 years ago when you did start it, what you were doing maybe like right before that, how you started the company? I joined a search firm in 1997. At that time, my parents and my friends all thought I was crazy. I was 100% commission opportunity. I liked the sound of it. And I thought I'd be good at it. Unfortunately, in the first six months, I was horrible at recruiting. I just was not very good at it. But I was so determined to be the best. I started in July. So that first six months was not good. And I remember my CEO at the time at one point saying, what? He sat me down. He really he really was aggressive and said, what are you doing? And so that next year, I wasn't even ranked as one of the top sales reps, but I was determined to become a, a top producer. And by the end of that year, I was the number three producer 
producing rep in the company. And by the following year, I was promoted to uh, the youngest managing partner in the company and the number one producer. So I had a tremendous amount of success. I had a really good relationship with the team there. And that company specialized in technology sales. So that was my introduction to selling. That was my introduction to learning how to sell, but also learning how to recruit in the sales market. And the model started to change a bit. As a managing partner, I never lost anyone. We were the number one producing team. So I had a lot of success there. But because the model started to change, I decided to branch out on my own. I had a uh, wonderful relationship with uh, all of the managing partners and the CEO. I had a one-year non-compete, which I honored for over three years, just because I'm a super honest guy and very down-to-earth. And I mentioned to the team that I knew that I was leaving and I was taking the risk and I was going to start from scratch. And so starting a search firm by the name of Treeline from scratch you know, was challenging. No candidates. I had no clients. I just had a, I had no website at the time, actually. All I had was a rented office space with a lobby, interview room, and a bullpen filled with one person myself. Now, there's a lot of belief, but in March of 2001, I started Treeline. Took me almost a year to make it for my first placement. Took that long just to build my network and to get some clients. And I continued to grow it, continued to find success. And, uh, the, you know, the company took off. We're still cranking and we're still, oh, I'd say we're a very entrepreneurial organization of course. We're continuing to strive and break the model and make it better and make sure that we're the number one producing sales organization in the nation. Well, can you tell us about for three years, did you not work? I guess that's part I'm a little confused on. So the company I worked at, we specialize in technology sales. Mm-hmm. So when I left, I told the team, the CEO, I said, I'm not going to compete. I'm going to focus on pharmaceutical sales, which is something they didn't do. So we that's where we started. Let's talk a lot about that beginning, if you don't mind. I mean, the audience, maybe they're younger entrepreneurs, they're trying to learn from that point in time. How old were you? Sound like you didn't make a sale for a year. So I guess you had saved up money. Can you just go through the struggles and what you did and how the excitement in the beginning? Yeah, I was I was uh, 30 years old. Super exciting, of course. I was married, had a house, a baby on the way, plenty of risk for certain. I mean, you always take on risk as an entrepreneur. It's just totally determined. Every day I'd show up to work with a suit and tie. I knew I was the only person there, but I still showed up every day with a suit and tie. Every morning I woke up, I said, today's going to be the best day of my life. And I went in and I would get on the phones. I would start building network. I'd start calling at the, you know, when you're calling on big pharmaceutical firms and you're introducing yourself as Treeline, most of them don't even pick up the phone. And so at at the beginning, when you have a company by the name of Treeline, that's an executive search firm that that sole focus is to help you build a sales organization. Companies don't tend to understand that right off the bat. So it takes even more heavy lifting. So the downside when you start a company like that named Treeline in sales, people don't understand what you're doing. The good news to that is 16 years later, the name is so unique that now most people know us. They, they know who we are and they know what we do. And so building the brand is, is not as difficult. And so getting started, it was, it was by myself. Every day, I, I, you know, I needed to. There was no one to compete with, which is usually very good for me. I had to compete with myself, and I had to make sure that I survived. Every day, I was just determined for the small wins. I was just determined to get someone to answer the phone and hear the name Treeline and hear the name Dan Fantasia. And I was determined to keep on them and call every person in a company and, and make sure they knew my name and make sure they knew what the company did. Hours after hours, almost all cold calling at the time. I was just 
banging down doors, trying to get in touch with people. It was a, a long uphill battle because you have to remember when I got started in search, most of the, the searches I did were contingency, which meant when I closed the client, I received no money. When I closed the client, I just got the client. Then I had to go out and I had to find them the right person for their organization. And once I found, once I produced and once I was successful, then I was paid. But otherwise, signing a client for me had nothing to do with revenue. I had to first sign the client and then I needed to find the right person for them. And then there was a uh, revenue was the reward. I guess before we jump too much into the beginning and the revenue, could you tell us about how you were able to go from the old company and increase the number three ranking in sales and then eventually the number one, what you did differently? Well, I would say I, I took no leadership. And so when I first got started, I took very little leadership through my sales process and I was naive. So I was led by each and every one of my candidates and I was naive. So I listened to everything they said, meaning that, you know, if they told me they were the best salesperson ever, I would have believed them. And then I would have told my client that they were the best sales ever. And my client would have called me back and said, no, they're not. <laughs> you did a you did a horrible job. And so I learned over time that I needed to take leadership. And in the absence of leadership, decisions were made. And that was my, my CEO, Tony Nutella, would say that to me all the time. And if I wasn't taking leadership, if I wasn't leading the presentation, if I wasn't leading the meeting, if I wasn't gaining the information that was important to move forward, and if there was no business interaction, I couldn't really help people. Instead, I, I think I was too amiable. And so by being amiable, I took no leadership. I let the, the candidate lead the meeting or the client lead the meeting. And by doing so, that was a huge weakness and a disservice to both client and candidate because although I listened to them and thought they knew what they were talking about, what I've realized is that very few companies truly know and have a good strategy around how to hire sales folks. And most candidates don't understand their strategy on how to find a new opportunity. So by listening to them and following their direction, I realized that neither party knew what they were doing. And if I continued down that road and didn't take leadership to help them and guide them through the process, then I'd be failing both parties. And what type of leadership did you take? I mean, can you walk us through an example of maybe a type of client in the beginning? You don't have to give us the exact company name, or if you can, that'd be great too, but more of a detailed example so we can get our arms wrapped around it? Yeah. I, I, so I might talk to a company and a company says, Dan, this is what we do and this is why we're a great place to work. And, and sometimes they do and do not know why they are a great place to work. But let's get past that. Then we talk through the job responsibilities and the requirement. And I might talk to a company that says, you know what, Dan, I need a person that has five years of experience or 10 years of experience in this field with domain expertise. I need a person with 10 years of experience, domain expertise in the security field, right? Software security. Great. And I need them to be in California. I need them to be in Boston. Wonderful. So after I understand what the company does, what they're looking for and the requirement, then I'd ask about quota and average sales size and compensation. And so you get to a point where you start to realize that for many companies, they may be unrealistic in the type of individual they think they can hire. In many cases, they want the direct competitor. They want to pay him less money. They want to give him a, a territory with more travel. And they think that they will be able to recruit that individual from their number one competitor. The challenge with that is their number one competitor may not have that, that strategy at all. That's That might not be how they hire. And, and as a result, that might be why they're so much 
much more successful. But with a company, if we say, okay, I'll do that. I'll go try to find that person. It is unlikely we'll be successful. Instead, we would need to take leadership and offer some consultation and advice to help them understand that, well, I know the candidates that come from that market. We know from that company, we know how much money they make. And it's unrealistic to believe that you're going to be able to lock one of these folks down. We can certainly search for that type of individual, but most likely the person that you're going to get that's leaving that company is probably not a top producer and they're struggling in the role. And that's why they consider your company for less money. And what's more realistic, what we found in the market is individuals that have a different, a little bit different skill set. They don't have, they might not be coming from the direct competitor, but they are coming from companies that look like this, this, and this. These individuals potentially making less money, but more importantly, they understand the market. They understand the opportunity. They can ramp up quickly, find success, and help you grow your organization. If we look at that type of individual, then we can help you sustain your sales environment. We can help you find consistency so that you can continue to hire these individuals, find success, build a strong team, and then really be able to compete at a higher level. If we only look at the 10-year person with domain expertise that's coming from the field, we may not find you a person for six to nine months, and it's not a realistic recruiting strategy. You said you wanted to hire five people. Well, we might be able to get one person for you every six to nine months, or we can get five people for you in the next 30 to 60 days. But your strategy presently, you can't, uh, it is unlikely you're going to hire five people in 30, 60 days with the domain expertise and requirements that you're looking for. And so if you continue with this strategy, and if this is the strategy you've had for the past year, you can see why you're not getting your hires, you're not building a sales team, and you're not hitting your numbers. So your recruiting strategy, what we would recommend is we should tweak it and change it and look at this skill set to help you scale your organization. And for those companies that understand and want to listen to that advice, they realize and learn as they start to recruit that it's accurate. There's a finite audience to recruit that have the exact domain expertise and 10 years of experience that they want. And so as a result, it's going to be very challenging for them to scale, or they need to look out into the market, take advantage of our expertise and understanding of the market and where the talent can be found, find that infinite number of candidates and prospects that we can call on, bring a large pipeline of talent to you so that you can identify the top talent that meets your your selling environment, and then lock those candidates down, grow your organization, and now you really have a competitive, growing, sustainable, sales culture of success. Speaking of that, let's go ahead and jump back in, if you don't mind, the first year of when you did TreeLine, because you said it took you a little over a year to land that first client. Yes. How do you keep going when, you know, I guess you're making the next calls and I guess you're working by yourself. It seems like eventually you just get tired and if you're not able to close the sale for a year. That's a great question. So that first year, you know, there's, uh, you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of folks. There's a, there's a book by Sun Tzu. It's called The Art of War. One of the passages says, you know, when you're invading a foreign country, country or foreign land, burn the ships. Meaning that if there's no retreat, you need to fight twice as hard. You need to basically fight for your life. There's no retreat. You've, you've got to win. You'll fight stronger and harder and with more passion because there is no way to retreat. And so when you're when you're starting a company, I suppose there can be no doubt you've got to fight to win. You've got to fight to survive. And so when I started Treeline, the things that motivated me were the small wins. Just a person picking up the phone. That's a that small win. Was, would, that gave me a ton of motivation or a person that would connect with me and heard what I had to say and, and liked it. And I could hear in their, their voice and their tone that I had a shot. 
with this client and they fall into my tickler file. Those small wins, every day I had a small win and those small wins build up. And so the small wins are what I focused on. The small wins were what gave me belief. And the more I believe, the more motivated I became. I should say the more I believe, the more action I took. And the more action I took, the more motivation I had. And with the more motivation I had, the belief continued to build and and we just continued to grow. And I think those small wins are important, but looking back, you sound like you're married, you had a kid in the house. Do you have to take out a loan to get this thing started? Was there any pressure from home to make sure you got these sales going? And can you talk about that? I think my wife is super supportive. So there was not a lot of pressure. I think my wife, Julie, believed that it was going to be successful no matter what. Uh, And so I didn't feel a lot of pressure. The only pressure I felt was on myself. I didn't take out any loans. I had saved, I had basically saved money and it was pretty conservative. I took all my, you know, everything that I had in the the stock market at the time. And I just, I put everything into the company. So there was no loans. The company continues after 15 or 16 years. We're still debt-free, cash flow positive and in growth mode. So there was no, there was no pressure from home. There was just pressure from myself. I just believed that I was, I was going to do it. Every day I'd wake up and say, today's going to be the best day of my life. And I'd walk into that office and I would just get at it. Were there any down moments that you didn't think you were going to make it? Or obviously it's great if you're able to wake up every morning and think that, hope that it's the best day of your life, but did doubt ever creep in? The only time I really felt doubt was about seven years after we started. So 2001, I started in March of 2001. Six months later was September 11th. And so when September 11th hit, everything stopped. So we, we still had no clients starting a company. September 11th, there's just a lot of things happening uh, in the world and in the market. And that was a bit nerve wracking, but still determined. The scariest time of my life uh, at, at Treeline, I should say, or my career at Treeline was in 09. 2008. So we were a leading indicator. So we could see the market starting to change in 2008, but it, it wasn't really affecting us. 2009 is when that's when the market really fell apart. That was the scariest time because now I had a, a large team. I was responsible for a lot of people. The market was falling apart. And so as scary as September 11th was, it was nothing compared to 2009. Now you're, you know, September 11th, that's kind of my Actually, At that time I had my first employee. So there was two of us, but you're fighting for yourself. In 2009, I had a, we had a much larger organization. You, know, you have 30 people or what have you. And so even though we're still a small company, we're large in the, the search business. But now you're responsible for all those folks. And so now you're really working hard to support everyone. It's not just your family and the company. It's, it is the, the entire corporation. And, and so that was, I think, the scariest, toughest time at, here at Treeline, for me at least. What made it so tough? I mean, was money being tight? You know what was tough? It was tough because... First of all, cash flow was tight. Companies just were not paying. We we're paying the employees, but we're not, we weren't being compensated. And so that was collections was really tough. That was super hard for us. And because we're contingency based, again, at the time, primarily contingency based, we would sign a client, we would do the work, we would find success, we would get them a hire, and then we would, it would take forever to get, to get paid. And so that was really tough to manage, really tough to negotiate negotiate right through the the collections process and cash flow and it's just there's just so many things going on i'm thankful that we're a pretty conservative organization we have no financial backing we can't just be blowing money so every financial decision we ever make we're, we're cautious 
we have no debt really. And so although that may, con- you know, a lot of folks may consider us or myself, maybe not a great CEO for that. It actually is what kept us alive through the, the tough times. It was cash that we had on reserve that we could go to ourselves. That reserve helped me protect the company and the team through those tough times. You said at the time you were contingency based. Are you still? We are. We uh, A large portion of our business is contingency. We do retain search as well. And because of the technology that we built, you know, we also offer both project and something that we call a, a SaaS solution. And our SaaS solution is a little bit different from contingency. It's substantially cheaper, which gives every company the ability, no matter how small, to work with us because now we can fit their budget. But that particular service, uh, although substantially cheaper, is paid up front. Could you tell us about going from being the sales guy to managing? Because it seems like that's a super hard process for a lot of top sales people, especially. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a big transition. Um, I, I still, I'm still selling, just so you know. I, I still continue to sell. I like to be part of the team. I like to make sure I'm contributing. I like to understand what the challenges and concerns are in the market. I like to be connected. Well, I think one of the biggest challenges, of course, is you know, you're still competing, or at least for a guy like me, you know, <laughs> you're you're helping your reps and you're giving them everything they, they've got. Uh, and a lot of times you're giving them a leg up, and but you're also pushing them because of your own drive to still sell and be successful. And so when we were smaller, as I was hiring and training, and most of my time went into others to get them ramped up and trained, I would still spend the extra hours making sure that I was hitting my numbers as well. Uh, so when they went home, I, I'd keep working. And that was good because it pushes the entire team. And I think uh, what I've learned is the best way to manage is with open, honest dialogue. If you're frustrated about something, whether it be a sales rep, if they're frustrated with me, I, I'd expect that they'd say, hey, Dan, this is bothering me. And if I'm frustrated with something they're doing, I'll let them know if they're, if their pitch is off or they're struggling with something, I, I will let them know immediately. And the whole goal is, I, and I always say to them, I'll, I'll be honest with you and I'll be truthful. I'll tell you exactly what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong. And when you're, when we get it down and we get it right, you'll hear less from me because the more things that you're doing right, the less coaching you need. We all need coaching and we all need assistance. We all need peers and leaders and mentors. And it's important for our growth. But I, I personally found when I transitioned from selling to leadership, I was still doing both. And with open dialogue, it was easy for everyone in the company to communicate and crystal clear as to what our direction is and what we're trying to do and what we're trying to accomplish. Was there ever a time where you didn't have that, where you realized you were making a mistake as a leader? Maybe you weren't communicating as much because you might've been focused on sales or anything of that nature? I can't think of a specific example, but there have been plenty of times where my team, uh, so we, we, we believe heavily in empowerment. I'm a member of the team like everyone else. And so the most important thing for us as a culture and a community is to make sure that we can speak our minds. If the management team, the executive team, the the recruiting to anyone, any part of the team, if they think we're doing something wrong, they think I'm doing something wrong, I, I just want to know. No, Nobody's perfect. We're really good. Our company's great at making mistakes and then learning from those mistakes. And the only way that you can see those mistakes is if everyone's honest with open dialogue and just speaks their mind and the truth. What did you learn when you were starting to train those salespeople? What do you look for when you're hiring those salespeople and how do you teach them? I look for I look for hard work. So I would look for like a strong work ethic. I look for genuine honest, down-to-earth people. I look for people that have just a positive mental attitude, personable. I happen to like people that have traveled. And 
for me, when, when I'm interviewing, I take down the guard almost immediately. And I say to every person I interview, this is not an interview. I'm just trying to figure out who you are and you know what you've done and if this is a good fit. And I'm going to tell you, uh, I'm going to give you the answers to every question you have so you can figure out if, if we're a good fit. There's no pressure. We're just trying to figure out if this is a good fit for both parties. And so there's not going to be a lot of trick questions. I just, you know, I just want to have a conversation with you to make sure that we don't make a mistake here and that this is a good fit. And that, that tends to work because uh, we set really accurate expectations. I say, I don't want to be sold and I'm not going to sell you. We just want to make sure together this is the right fit. And as a result, we have very little turnover, almost none. Well, Dan, this is not an interview. I'm just trying to figure out who you're <laughs> <laughs> trying to be a funny guy. <laughs> Can you tell us about any other stories, either positive or negative, what you wish you knew when you were growing the company for someone who was younger and in your shoes? What do you wish you knew then? I wish I knew, and I was told that I, I wish I had a better understanding. Uh, my, so my dad has owned his own company and basically in his retirement years, he ended up just folding up the company and shutting it down. I think that... I wish I had a better strategy or plan on how to how to understand how to exit, right? How to exit a company. You spend, uh, you know, for those folks that are just starting their companies or looking to build their companies, there is a time that comes when you, you know, it's not now for me, that's for sure. But there is a time that's going to come where you have to figure out how to exit it. I think a lot of small, mid-sized businesses actually end up just potentially running the companies into the ground or they're so emotionally attached to them, they can't kind of let them go. And I think at the beginning, and I still you know, work through that now, is you know, try to understand how do you exit? Because you can't run the company forever. At some point, there has to be some kind of strategy there. All of us are going to die too. Eventually, you're going to exit life as well. So no, I think that's very important, especially I think a company like yours, maybe product-based, it seems like it makes more sense. But when you're in this type of business, how do you plan on exiting? How have you thought about it since you brought that up? I mean, the ultimate would be an acquisition, but you're right. We're not a product. We do have some technology here, but we're, we're more of a services organization. And so when building a company, it's something to consider. What advice or, I mean, is there anything else, a young entrepreneur who's just graduating college that you suggest they know? I would say be conservative with cash. I think that many times, you know, you're taught to borrow and grow. And, and I can tell you that if you overdo it when times get tough and it will get tough, and if you're leasing your office furniture and your computers and everything else, when times get tough, if you have not been somewhat conservative with some cash, it is very easy to screw up. <laughs> it's very easy for a company to to fold up pretty quickly. And so that, my thing would be just just be somewhat conservative, have some reserves, um, number one. And then number two, same thing with when it comes to cash flow, treat yourself as an employee, pay yourself as an employee understand that you are an employee of the corporation. And so it's not a piggy bank. It's not a place to just withdraw money. You get paid like everyone else does. And if you think of yourself as an employee of the corporation and keep your head screwed on straight, then you can stay somewhat conservative from a cash flow perspective. If you get ahead of yourself and you have some good months and start spending money, you may need that money two or three or six or 12 or 18 months later. So I would just be conservative and how you spend. And 
anyone who would want to replicate like trying to become one of these best places to work, what has been your success in doing that? What suggestions would you give them? I would say that one, you, you want everyone to be engaged. You want to make sure that they can have fun. If you're going to go to work every day and you're going to put your heart and soul into it, you still got to have fun. If everyone's miserable, what's the use? You know, it's, it's, that's, that's no good. So if I have fun, you want to be, of course, like I said earlier, engaged, you know, emotionally attached to, to a belief system that is bigger than yourself that you're, that everyone believes in. And then three is open dialogue and communication, crystal clear vision on where the company is, what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, brainstorming sessions. Those are things where the entire company can contribute and offer their opinion as to where the company's going and what's happening. And then as a result, with that consistent message and your monthly corporate meetings and things of that nature, everyone is on the same page. They know what we're trying to do. They're having fun and they're happy. They're engaged. And you know we're all out trying to hit our goals and, and continue to grow. Oh, yeah. You mentioned brainstorming sessions. Do you have any other suggestions on like camaraderie things that maybe I wouldn't think about when I'm growing a business, but that's worked really well for you? Well, we, you know, we do, of course, our president club trips. We do summer outings. We do holiday parties. We do management outings. We do, we have a beer fridge, cornhole, ring time. Mean, we've got, uh, you know, we have all the, the toys and the fun stuff. So uh, I guess that, that was just an assumption of mine. Just things that are not forced. So on a Thursday afternoon, uh, after work, you know, some folks can sit down and have a beer and, and hang out, enjoy each other's company without forcing it. You know, m- most folks for 16 years, I can tell you, and for anyone that has left the company and moved on, they all still come back and hang out and talk and they all have lifetime friends that they've built. And so it has just been a, a really special type of organization, not because of me, just because of the company and the culture and the ability to connect and share common goal and have fun and like each other. And, and it feels good to, to win and, and to grow. I'd say most company cultures, unfortunately, don't have that fun. Yeah, you might assume since you've been doing it for 16 years that most might be like that. Unfortunately, I don't think a lot are. Was there a point in time that you realized you had to like focus on people having more fun as well in order to get morale up and keep people excited? Yeah, like um, day one when I was by myself, I, you had asked me the question earlier, what did you do to keep doing it? When I was by myself and I was making the cold calls and putting the time in, I realized there were times when I just, I needed a break and I needed to goof around. Uh, and then when I hired my first employee, Employee, we would take time. You, you know, you, you're, you're pounding on the phones for two hours. It's nice to take a 15 minute break and play all kinds of you know, crazy games or indoor bed, whatever it was, silly stuff, just to break up the day. And so by doing that, I realized early on that if I need a break, everyone needs a break. And so you, you've got to be okay with goofing around. You know, for example, we have something called, we call the Zen room here. We got all of that other stuff. We've got a room with a big bean bag and a small water fountain and and you know, all kinds of stuff in there. But basically, it's a place where you can go. If you need a break, you can go in there, you can take a nap, you can relax. You know, what's the use of being exhausted one day at your desk, trying to get work done, but you just can't? If you take 15 minutes to go sit down and lay down and take a quick, brief nap, you'll come back twice as energized and much more productive. And so why force yourself into uh, these constraints when in actuality, your body and mind, you need a break. Have fun, relax. You know, sometimes you just need that time alone. We're not robots. I think some people, me too. I'm like, oh, I feel like I haven't got enough done and you have to sit there, but it's like, why not actually take a break and actually will even make you 
more efficient, more excited and rejuvenated to come back. Uh, with that said, thank you for coming on. Do you have any last parting words of wisdom? And what's the best way for someone to maybe reach out to you and say thank you for doing the interview? I guess just have fun with it. Make sure you take leadership and you have some direction and you know make tons of mistakes. We've learned more from our mistakes than our successes. And then lastly, I would say, if you want to contact me, yeah, my email address is it's my last name. It's Fantasia at treeline-inc.com. Uh, you're always welcome to call. My direct dial is 781-876-8102. And I'm happy to help out in any way I can. Thanks again, Dan, for coming on. And thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, bro.